Hello, hello. This is your host, Shraz Ahmed, ready to kill for another bite-sized episode of the Crypto Valley Association podcast. A special thank you to Sebabank for supporting this initiative as they pursue their mission to redefine finance for the new economy. Now let's discover together the growing trends of this fast-moving space and try to shed some light on the mysteries it contains. Today, we're joined by Boris Borabilowitsky, Partner and Chief Revenue Officer of Copper, the institutional gateway to digital asset investing, providing everything you need to prosper in a rapidly evolving market. So let's dive straight in and uncover the hidden world of blockchain infrastructure. Hello, Boris. How are you doing today? Hi, great intro. Loving it. <laughs> wonderful, wonderful. Well, the, the best, best is up next. And, and I think you can maybe give us a little bit of an insight of where you first kind of started on this blockchain journey uh, of yours. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, look, it basically started for me only 2017. I was not one of those, uh, you know, blockchain crypto evangelists. I bought my first Bitcoin in 2010. Quite honestly, because I kind of grew up in the in the traditional financial se- sector, it was uh, I didn't I didn't believe in it properly, right? So I was like, ah, this can't be this can't be real. It must be a scam. And at that time, I was working at an asset management firm in Mayfair. And we had a load of clients that started calling us. It was like, you know, 17 when everything spiked. And mm-hmm. we're like, yeah, very happy with our fixed income and equity exposure. But can we do you do anything on the crypto side that we can mix into the portfolios? And I was like, are you sure you want to do this? <laughs> and at that point, then, yeah, decided to, it was actually Thursday, decided to kind of lock myself away. Uh, it took me over the weekend because I started reading, uh, reading Satoshi's white paper. At first, I didn't understand a word he was saying. I had to read it like three times. And then in many ways, you know, if you work in traditional finance and you know how everything's kind of plucked together, you know, T plus two, T plus three settlements and all that kind of stuff, it suddenly clicked. And um, yeah, at the same time, a friend of mine who I knew, Dimitri, who was the CEO, called me and said, like, look, I've got this idea. Do you want to come and do this with us? And I was like, yeah, come on, let's do it. So this is literally how the journey started. And very close thereafter, I bought my first. It was actually an ERC. It was an ICO that I invested in, which actually done okay. And yeah, and that's how the journey basically started. More like from the out of out of necessity in order to build something, not necessarily being purely excited about the about about the technology at that point. Mm-hmm. The excitement came later on. Incredible, and I mean, build something. You did to what copper is today. I mean, we hear about what you're doing everywhere. I mean, please maybe, maybe t- tell us more about kind of how that the, the foundation of copper was created and how it built up to what it is today. That's true, incredible. Absolutely. So, yeah, like I said, I mean, we started the company January 18. And at that time, we wanted to solve one big problem, which was custody. Um, quite frankly, custody has been solved a hundred times over since. There are all sorts of different approaches that people can take. You know, Shami secret sharing. You can have HSM sitting in some bunker somewhere, or like Zappo did it in Switzerland with like a, with dogs and guns and guards and in and around a mountain. But uh, we wanted to kind of build custody on the premise of segregation of assets, which was important to us, and at the same time increasing speed. So uh, when I mean speed, I mean withdrawals, because if you have a volatile asset class, 24 to 48 hour retrieval times or withdrawal times is not good enough. You want to access your funds quickly if you have to. So um, we built that, we released that mid-18. In the meantime, as I'm sure some of the listeners also remember, the market completely crashed, which was in many ways good to see because it flushed out all this ICO dirt, for a better word. You have to, <laughs> it was 
it was a massive cleaning exercise. And what we saw then was some more traditional guys coming into the space. And those were mainly from the effects and commodity side. And those guys came with a different set of problems uh, because there was no prime broker in the space. And they said, look, we've got investors, LPs that are asking us questions of like, you know, what's the strategy doing? What, what, what numbers do you print? But which are, which are all answerable. But then it came down to the fact of like, okay, so if I give you my money, is there any chance that you can screw me over and run away with it? <laughs> and <laughs> since the industry was built on the premise that exchanges are also acting as custodians, which is, in our opinion, a really, 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 really stupid idea, but I'm going to come to that, build a product called the Walled Garden. And the Walled Garden really put us on the map at that time, because with custody alone, we were like competing with BitGo and, you know, like those guys. But the Walled Garden was an absolute game changer where you basically hook up your exchange accounts, you have a treasury management functionality where funds can travel freely within that ecosystem and in and out of custody, but they cannot leave because it's jointly controlled between the client and the custodian, i.e. us. And that really put us on the map for funds. And then shortly after, some market makers started using us for their treasury management functionalities. And they basically came with a different problem that needed solving, which was the settlement layer on the OTC side. Mm -hmm. So... We build a settlement engine that allows you to, you know, settle your trades, your OTC trades securely, because we had a lot of funds, of course, that needed their subscription and redemption activity done OTC. And we built that settlement engine, with all, which ultimately powered the latest addition to the product offering, apart from staking capabilities, DeFi, and so on. But the biggest puzzle piece definitely is Clearloop, which we have re released last year in May, I think it was which is basically the ability for you to hold your assets in segregated custody. And all you do is ping tradable balances to the venue, but the assets are not moving. So they, they stay put within your third-party custodian. You can trade on the exchange just like you would do normally anyway. And once you trade it, either spot or derivatives, so when you realize your PL on the spot side instantaneously, the exchange sends a settlement instruction to us and the balance settles within. So also, the exchanges hold balances with us, and that's basically where the settlement happens. So we are basically a settlement and clearing agent, if you want to call it that way, whereas allowing, you know, solving two key problems. On the one side, the ability for you to mitigate counterparty risk, because those exchanges, as you know, you know, many of them are either situated and or regulated on the island of Barbuda, and that's not necessarily helpful for the compliance departments. So... Yeah. And at the same time, it just increases capital efficiency because you can move your assets from one venue to the other in milliseconds because it happens off chain. So yes. that is solving a key, key problem, which has yeah propelled us to where we are today. So from like four or five people sitting in a cool flat in Shoreditch, we're now scratching around 200 people with offices in London, headquartered in London, uh, Singapore and the US and in, in New Jersey and New York. Wow. So when you set off to, to build, you really, you really did build. I mean, uh, <laughs> yeah, that's incredible. And, uh, and, and actually just most recently winning best digital asset custodian at the crypto AM awards. So you really not only built, but successfully built for what you have today with of course your, your colleagues. Yeah. Um, one of the, one of the many that we kindly picked up over the course of the last couple of years. I mean, look, if you ask me one thing, it's, it's, over the course of the last three years, there is a lot of innovation that was missing in this space, about as much as you could innovate. And, and, and a lot of players had it all on a, like on a silver plate. They, they, they could have done so more. But, but what it basically was is like about as innovative as it got was that you have like a, a screen in order to kind of push buttons if you want to do your, ex, your, your OTC execution. That's how far it got. What we have done is we really 
we really took the hard battle. We went down to the root level, figured out what the problem is and tried to solve it. And the one thing's important, right? The industry, digital assets, crypto, blockchain, whatever you want to call it, has been built in the early days by tech people. I mean, we have a very good mix here. Without the tech people, it wouldn't work. But tech people don't understand finance. And finance people don't understand tech normally. <laughs> so what we have done very good in terms of like bridging that gap has ultimately resulted in us building those products, which are actually solving mm-hmm. an actual problem. And that is very nice to be recognized for that, not necessarily via awards, but you know, with the hundreds of clients, about 400 clients that we currently have, and the number is growing steadily each month. And yeah, on the other side, of course, a new, new group of people coming into the space, such as the traditional firms, you know, we have a whole enterprise offering in order to allow banks to either offer custody, to offer, to enable their prime brokerage desks, any sort of prime work that they do. And yeah, so mm-hmm. very nice to be recognized by that, not necessarily by an award, but yes, <laughs> I, I see exactly what you mean. I mean, and we will touch a little bit on the enterprise side uh, shortly. I just want to go back to Clearloop as, as, as very, very interesting. I mean, would you like to give us further detail? I, I don't know if you, you would like to, but like on, on how that actually works. I mean, does the sure. exchange kind of see you guys as an escrow and they trust that the user has that many kind of, let's say, bitcoins in their wallet and then is able to kind of loan those out to you. Can you give a little bit of logistics how that works or a little bit more detail? Absolutely. I mean, look, the way that it works is very simple. So we are an NPC-enabled custodian, which stands for multi-party computation. In a nutshell, what that means is that there is no private key that ever is created centrally when you create a wallet, which is very important because that imposes a lot of risks. But that is a complete different rabbit hole that we can go down under <laughs> uh, where we need much longer than we potentially have in this episode. Now, the way that Clearloop is built is built on the premise that exchange is acting as custodians, which if you are coming from the traditional world, you know, the equivalent would be that you need to set up an account on a New York stock exchange. You need to send money there up front and then you can buy your Apple shares. That's just not how it works, right? So... Basically, what, 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 what Clearloop is, is the ability for you to hold your assets in that segregated custody. Might that be Bitcoin? We, I think, are the custodian offering or servicing the most layer one protocols out there. I think it's around 400 currencies that we currently have. Mm-hmm. And what you basically are doing is you hold that in that segregated custody account. And all you do is basically delegate a balance. So the way that it works, it's nothing else than, a, nothing else than an API call. So the exchange, of course, during the integration that they do when they come on board with us, FTX is the next one to join, and Bitstamp and many others. What it basically does is the exchanges have the abilities to see how how much funds are being locked and held by a client in a a segregated account on copper, a third-party custody. And all that then happens is that that balance, whatever I want to trade, so I'm a fund that wants to trade now, I don't know. I want to put a margin down on Deribit, for example, and I'm delegating 100 BTC to that exchange. That is now locked on the exchange's side, meaning that in case that you hooked up in a position or whatever it is, you won't be able to withdraw your assets on copper because only the, the, the custodian of the exchange is able to unlock this balance back either when you settle your P&L or, you, or you, you, know, you didn't enter the trade in the first place and you want to ramp it on somewhere else. So it literally is just an API call where the balance then becomes available, but instead of it sitting in custody in, you know, God knows where, you know, different exchanges are, you know, will be okay, it's somewhere in China somewhere and 
on, on some exotic islands, it's not sitting there. Mm. It's just sitting in third-party custody. So okay. that's, that's literally how it works. The only reason of why we get exchanges on is because we build the infrastructure from the outset in order to support a product like this. Mm. So it comes down to access, several layers of security, and ultimately access, like I said, you know, approvals, et cetera, et cetera. But it's extremely smooth, meaning that you can ramp balances on from one venue to the other in milliseconds. And awesome. you do all that off chain. So that means on the one side, like I said, it mitigates the counterparty risk that you normally carry with the exchange because you don't have to pre-fund it and they are in full control of the balance. Mm-hmm. But second of all, the capital efficiency for the client is going through the roof because you don't need to hold debt capital on the exchanges. You see, if I trade derivatives in a volatile asset class like this, mm-hmm. I always have a certain buffer of, you know, if I trade BTC options, for example, I would hold a certain buffer of security capital there in case that the market is too volatile and I'm getting close to getting liquidated. So that's what I just have to hold there because it would take too long if I withdraw it from Coinbase in order to move it over to, let's say, Derivit, right? That will take 15, 20 minutes. If it is Ethereum, it might cost you a thousand bucks and it will take you a day. <laughs> but so so this is what this is what Clearloop solves. And the reception for the product is, yeah, I mean, absolutely incredible. And we are the only ones on the planet that have it. So that literally is another big plus. <laughs> Definitely. Uh, and you mentioned security many times. I mean, it's helping uh, security, which of course is very important to the traditional world. And we mentioned a little bit before enterprise, right? And this enabling, I would say, you in the traditional side of banks being able to, to access the space further. I mean, how, how do you see that, that, that side developing further with regards to some of the things that you're offering to enable banks to enter this world? Absolutely. Look, I mean, you, you mentioned one thing earlier, security. <laughs> security is number one at Copper. Always has been, always will be. We talk about cryptographic assets. The next wave of like, you know, tokenized securities where the banks, of course, are getting interested in. Reason being, you know, with capital requirements, you know, everything from Basel 2 to Basel 3. And, you know, sometimes relatively liquid assets sitting on the balance sheet by tokenization, you can take them off balance sheet, which is extremely exciting for yeah. banks, of course. So this is where, where kind of banks come in, but that's not actually entirely true. Tokenization is something for the future, right? What it is right now, it is Bitcoin mm. and Ethereum. That's what it is right now. And when it comes to that, if you are, you know, a 30, 40 year old seasoned banker and you're running and you're running, uh, uh, um, you know, you're running UBS or Credit Suisse, you feel you feel quite uh, intimidated by that space because it's Mm. it's it is it is it is adjacent to so many risks and a lack of understanding, at least at that point. So what we are doing on that front is everything that we have built and battle-proofed over the course of the last four years. We basically enable to be boxed up and to be put, for example, on-premise um, in the bank's colors and flags and whatever they want for their clients, like literally without them having to build anything because also without you know stepping on anybody's toes, it would take about 15 committees and half a year just to change the color of a button in a bank. So the speed at which they can, so the speed at which they can actually bring something out to the market will be relatively prohibited, right? So, um, they're more like on the on the on the region of buy and buy and partner, not necessarily build. And that's literally how we how we position ourselves now. Apart from the big SaaS business that we have, where we service you know the crypto funds, market makers, payment processes, neobanks, and so on, we now go into this enterprise piece, which 
is extremely complex because it's not just holding Bitcoin and Ethereum with, you know, the bank's colors and flags on it. It is very much in and around the fact of like, how does this plug into compliance? What does on-chain analytics say? KYC AML, the risk functions, how does that plug in there? Reporting. So this is what we've built out and are currently in the in the process of, yeah, we're pretty far down the rabbit hole with quite a few big like tier one banks globally and tier two, tier three, like all the way down to smaller private banks. So yeah, very, very exciting on that front because we stumped this out in January and already has insane traction. So watch that space wow. because we're going to okay. hear quite a lot of it. Definitely. And I mean, Switzerland is home to, to, to many banks and, yeah. and I can definitely see the, the use case. Um, I'm originally from Liechtenstein. I'm originally from Liechtenstein. So uh, it is like, I grew up in, in that, you know, it's like cow, trustee, bank, bank, cow, trustee, trustee, bank, bank. <laughs> so I, I, I know how it is. I know how it works. Yeah, absolutely. Switzerland, absolute target for us. And we also have people in Switzerland. So we've got a Zurich office as well. So, um, um, yeah. Yes, definitely. And it's been a pleasure to, to welcome you actually within the Crypto Value Association not uh, you know, not too long ago. I mean, and maybe we can touch upon the, the, this area of, I mean, uh, jurisdictions, different places around the world, whereby to, to my best knowledge, uh, Copper is currently based in uh, London and you're actually talking out of London. I mean, how, how do you see things from a macro perspective? I mean, being in London with regards to everything that's happening, Brexit, etc. will <laughs> London still stay You said strong? the B word. You said the B word. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, I had to. Yeah, of course. I mean, look, if anybody understands, Switzerland is pretty high up. Mm-hmm. The European Union had a lot of had a lot of benefits but i'm not going to go into that discussion in terms of like was this a good idea or not yes. but what we see is that london remains the you know if money comes from anywhere into europe london still remains as number one i think closely followed by due to like you said earlier you know banks in switzerland you know in, in but it's different type of money right because simply due to the nature of what can be offered but we don't see we don't see much troubles here right now in the UK because of it. It, it, it. It's more of an internal thing because you know it's all about budgets. So Scotland is a little bit sad, and then, <laughs> but uh, in terms of the financial services industry, London is London is ahead in many ways on the regulatory side. So that's where we come back to the crypto piece, right? So on the on the on the and well, not as far ahead as Switzerland has to be said. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, you know, the VQFs and SRO standards that you have in, in, in Switzerland are helping, of course, quite a lot of people. And, 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 we're, and we're also in the, in, in the process of going down that route. But what it ultimately comes down to is the fact of what will, what's the future of financial services going to look like? That's, mm-hmm. that's, that's a big question. If you ask me, the point of the financial services industry operating on the way that it does right now, which is inefficient to say the least, especially anything that happens post-trade, is, 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 is a major problem that ultimately this industry that we're in is solving. So if you ask me in terms of like, yeah, what do you think like Bitcoin, Ethereum? I don't care too much about those <laughs> currencies, quite frankly, because mm-hmm. we're currently talking about a $2 trillion market. The more interesting piece is what will the big institutions choose in order to tokenize their assets on? Fixed income, no. equities, whatever it is, any sort of security, and 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 that's and that's and that's the interesting part. Now, for that, you need to have the infrastructure in place. 
which us and also a couple of others have built, at least to a certain extent. And in terms of like the financial services sector, I can tell you that there is big recognition that is coming. I can only suggest that people are keeping an eye out for the Financial mm -hmm. Times over the course of the next week and or so. Um, because there is, yeah, quite a few things coming out on our side uh, to position ourselves mm -hmm. to kind of ensure that not only the UK, but also Europe is a, is a you know, financial services hub going yeah. forward from an infrastructural perspective. That's what we're okay. trying to do. Wonderful. And thank you so much for that. Definitely check out the Financial Times soon. And, and I mean, you mentioned earlier on that you have offices in London, New York, Singapore, and a question related to, to actually your, your role, which we haven't touched upon too much, being the CRO uh, of Copper. I mean, where do you see the most traction coming out of which? Wh where is where, where are you getting the most uh, of your, of your mm -hmm. partners? Where, where's mm -hmm. the most vibrant place on, on the planet for the moment for you guys? Yeah, I'm, I'm in the lucky position as the chief revenue to, to kind of oversee all things sales and trading. But hence, I've got a pretty good idea in terms of like the pulse of where things are happening. There was, I mean... you. The U.S. is the U.S., right? So there is always a buzz in and around that. Mm -hmm. And and with us kind of coming to the scene to like, you know, the Bitcoins, Anchorages, and to a certain extent, you know, Fireblocks as well, you kind of you, you, you kind of see that we're eating a lot of people's lunch, which they're not mm -hmm. so happy about, but that's not my problem. Now, what it, what it basically comes down to is that I see America still growing extremely fast. Mm -hmm. In comparison to, for example, APAC, APAC is extremely retail focused, right? So it's not so much institutional, like crypto, like hedge funds, et cetera. That is very much, that, that, that's very Europe and US centric. So in terms of the three regions, since we started here in Europe, our European coverage, we're definitely number one here. In the US, we're currently, you know, cleaning up the field from the back. And APAC is a different is a different beast. They they seem to be a little bit later in the development, at, at least on the institutional side, but are far ahead on the in many ways far ahead on the retail side because it's just like a huge target market. So for us, for us currently, the biggest uh, revenue centers are Europe and, and and America with APAC and third. Okay, thank you. That's a great context. And unfortunately, Boris, as we slowly uh, get to the end of the episode here, maybe you can give us some, some insights on where you believe the blockchain space as a whole is, is heading. Oh my God. How long do we have? Uh, <laughs> you take as long as you need. Well, I mean, look, where is it heading? Well, what we're seeing right now is a, you know, is a battle of layer one protocols. Like, who is going to be the dominant one going forward? Will it be Ethereum? Will it be Solana? Will it be Algorand? Will it be, you know, one of those guys? Bitcoin, as we see the market dominance coming down, I, I remember in 2017, Bitcoin dominance was, I think, 86% of the global of the market. Yeah, I don't yeah. know where we are right now, like in the low 30s, maybe. Wow. So, so the money is, the money is moving, moving more towards like strategic, strategic technology plays that will kind of dictate the future of this space. Now, when I mean the future of this space, I mean tokenized securities, tokenizing of assets. That, 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 that is the next piece. A lot of people think that DeFi is going to be the one that is going to hit first. I personally don't believe it because we didn't fully figure out CeFi yet, i.e. you know, centralized finance in the crypto space. So we should learn how to walk before we try to run. 
DeFi is smart contract based, a smart contract based infrastructure down the line is definitely happening. But I think it's going to take much longer than a lot of people would 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 anticipate or would hope it to be. With that, of course, it comes down to the fact of who are the players that are going to come in. Again, it comes down to like how big the how big the space is. Currently, it's a two trillion dollar market. You, you see, this is like one company listed in America. So it's so it's not it's not that it's not sizable at all. But what's happening right now is that the ammunition is being kind of you know everybody is kind of gathering the necessary information and the necessary infrastructure in order to get into this space. And this is where we will see the big banks, which automatically bring along you know everybody on the street, you, me, because you know salaries or whatever else is being paid still to a bank, right? So they ultimately hold the money and they're doing things with it. So this is where I see the next big wave coming. The very first one is, like I said, you will see you will see the battle being 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 uh, de- decided on the on the which which infrastructure is going to be the one, which which blockchain, which technology is going to be the one that's going to power this. And I see three in the running. It's Ethereum, Solana, and Algorand. You ask me, it's Solana because mm. I've also personally invested and I absolutely love that chain. But in many, but in many ways, the big question is, what will the big guys do once they come in? They already have started to be in, as you know, you know, mainly buy and hold situations. But what it what it comes down to now is the fact of like once we get into the point of like tokenizing fixed income contracts, fixed income instruments, and some banks have already done it, as you know, you know, Santander and others, they've already experimented around with this. And I can tell you that you know the banks are extremely active right now. So I see finally a big push of institutional clients into like the institutionalization of this space. For three years, we've been sitting around on panels that have said institutions are coming, the big boys are coming. They haven't come, absolutely not. But now I think the the playing field is ready for them to a, to a certain extent, and that's what I see the biggest the biggest push happening over the course of the next one, two, three years, and then thereafter we will see you know if DeFi is actually what it what it what it promises to be. But, but for the time being, it's literally the big push of institutions into the space to make it viable and give it the stamp of approval that we can actually use the technology to make things better. <laughs> Just like it was in the old days where people were standing around in the pit screaming at each other with papers in their hand. And then somebody <laughs> came along and said, electronic trading is much more efficient, less slippage, et cetera. So those paradigm shifts have to happen. And I believe that big paradigm shift is happening with traditional financial institutions coming into that space now. Wonderful. Wow. Inspiring. Thank you. Thank you so much for joining us today, Boris. Do you have any final words for our, for our listeners maybe today? Look, um, final words is always a big one, right? I, I, I personally, like one of the big things is if you're listening to, you know, if, if you start reading up on it, because, you know, it maybe was on your radar for a certain time and you see the ticker now going on Bloomberg and CNBC and you see the Bitcoin price probably constantly, the big one is like not to be scared of that of that infrastructure and more challenging like challenge challenge the providers that are currently are around in order to drive innovation that literally is that literally is the piece that i would ask from listeners and anybody out there right now which we have done a pretty good job at and we are endeavoring to continue doing so but yeah those are those are the big things and and the last thing you should do is kind of close yourself off to that this is not happening this is very much happening and um that doesn't mean that in any shape or form you missed the boat yet. Absolutely not. It's still in its infancy, but it is happening and people better be ready for it. Be ready.
Wonderful. Well, thank you. And if you enjoyed this conversation, feel free to check out more on our website, CryptoValley.Swiss, where we host plenty of events, educational material, and even provide information on how you can join our growing community. Thanks again, Boris, for joining us. Absolute pleasure. Thank you. My pleasure. Stay tuned, stay safe. And until next time, from the Crypto Valley in Switzerland. Bye-bye. Bye.